And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is French, uh, the language they speak in Monaco, for <clears throat> these nuts. Okay, very good. Uh, refers, of course, to something we'll get to later in the show uh, and nothing else. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Salut, mon ami. Uh, very happy to be back. Thank you for covering uh, last week. I was otherwise indisposed of family details, but that did not stop me from enjoying everyone's favorite race of the year, <laughs> Monaco. Speaking of everyone's favorite, Rob Zachney. Also joining us. How are you, Rob? Not bad. Just relieved that there was no... no uh, Bofa incident in uh, Ferrari's in uh, Mercedes pits this weekend. <laughs> uh, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, if you are new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer, uh, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge from you, the listener, um, because we explain how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that and get a nice foundation on all this weirdness, uh, that's episode 137. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, uh, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other, other racing series, and a lot of uh, weird things. So if you like to <laughs> support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1, uh, or click the link in the show notes. Speaking of weird videos, Danny... <laughs> Yeah. What's been going on this month? I saw you glance up at me when you said that with your judging eyes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, because I wasn't able to do the uh, track walk from Monaco prior to the recording because uh, I was dealing with some stuff. Um, instead, what I did was I pre-recorded a what I have <laughs> lovingly called a pack walk, which is I, I oh, open up. Thank you. I open a pack of um, these like F one like something attack i forget what it's called they're basically f1 trading cards but it's like a little board game so but they come with oh, like wait a, you can play with them yeah so like it, i didn't know it comes with a very very cheap mat that you can roll out <laughs> once you've had it under a rug for like 10 days probably um to to play this game uh but yeah you you i you know i opened all these card pack basically i did a, a open card pack video um mm-hmm. but it's not instead for this of this unlisted youtube video Yes, exactly. For a video that I think for, something like 200, 250 people have access to. Um, so if you're on the Media Pass, uh, go check that out right now. It's 30 minutes of me desperately f- trying to find... Who is the one that never comes up? I think we got one Alexander Albon. I think that's. I think he was the rarest card <laughs> in it. My cup flowed over with Kimi Raikkonen's though. Um, uh, and also we will have the third and final episode of our Drive to Survive review series covering the final four episodes of the netflix series uh, i will not be in that um because i'm sort of still doing family stuff um oh you have but, a george uh, russell of that episode yes exactly <laughs> or almost the black lives matter of that episode yes that's almost <laughs> almost for a for a saving throw or maybe not quite a saving throw uh i let you guys decide um but yeah those final four i was really looking forward to talking about the grosjean stuff but um how they covered that, but uh, I'm sure you guys will do a great job on that. And thank you, of course, to all of our title sponsors, Jason Kelly, Will Rumpf, Umberto, Roca, Circuit Demon, Reagan, Sam G, Connor McManners, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foot, Jack Ben, Greg Salt, Fudo Highs, BPM, who have gone with the moniker Boring Parade in Monaco this week. Um, spoilers, uh, Drew Stewart and Tracy Syntax. Thank you all. That's a cool I always name. imagine Circuit That's... Demon just the coolest cat in the world. Just like, you know, put it, drifting the car into a pit box on, on a track day. Because, of course, they're doing a weekend track day every time. Where else would you find Circuit Demon? And then busting out their phone and making sure, did the Patreon payment go through? Excellent. <laughs> and then going and like clocking a few more hot laps. Absolutely. If you, if you want a nice modified lights for your car, this is a free ad I'm doing. Check out Circuit Demon's website. Wow. All right. <laughs> Uh, well, all you demons, let's get to the hellscape that is Monaco. Um, particularly hellish. Oh, boy. For, uh, I guess, initially, for, uh, one Charles Leclerc. Um, I guess we'll, we'll go down the grid here. On pole position, technically, Charles Leclerc, uh, amazing job getting pole position. Not so amazing job immediately crashing after that. Yes, um, 
the 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 crash gate uh, naysayers like myself were out there immediately. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's not the first driver to crash on a on a uh, quali and get get pole position. Schumacher did it famously, um, but obviously Rosberg. Yes, exactly. Uh, the 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 sort of thorn in the paw here is that uh, Charles Leclerc, born and raised in Monaco, has never finished a Monaco Grand Prix. Um, That's right. So he is he is crashed out or DNF'd in uh, all of his was it three previous um, ventures here, as opposed to like you said, Nico Rosberg, who also born and raised in Monaco. Um, Apparently, his school, according to his latest YouTube video, which he's on the cusp of a million views, he's like three thousand away from it. Um, his school overlooked the pit lane, so that's how close he. Oh my gosh. But, but Rosberg, of course, won three races back to back here, so uh, not great for Charles Leclerc. So very happy to get on pole, but obviously crashed the car, and there's worries about whether or not it'll start. Yeah, I I don't think he crashed this on purpose, unlike no. those other two guys we we mentioned. Because you know, if you set pole position and then, oops, I crashed, no one else can set a lap and, and top you. But uh, like Brundle said during the broadcast, if you're gonna do that, you don't do it where Leclerc did. Like he nailed the wall. Yeah. Um, and Ferrari had to go look at the car to make sure nothing was wrong. Um, there was concerns about the gearbox. But they inspected the gearbox and found no serious damage. So they said, all right, then uh, we are good to go. However, as soon as uh, race day came around, they fired up the car to get to the grid uh, in the pit. Like immediately, Leclerc was like, no, 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 this is this is bad. Something is wrong. Um, So they pulled it in. uh, And apparently there was a problem with the drive shaft. Um, the left drive shaft on of the, the back, car right on the back, mm. which is interesting because um, the right side of the car is the one that hit the wall, uh, but the left drive shaft is the one that broke. Uh, Ferrari did not, it seems, inspect that part because um, maybe they would have had time to fix it. But when he came into the pit, Leclerc, after um, you know doing that first outlap, uh that that that's a fix that is not fixable in a um in a short amount of time so he was unable to take the start of the race so he was out immediately um the the weird part about all this is that um you know why then why didn't ferrari find this uh is kind of the the big question here yeah um and it's not just me uh steve matchett who is a former NBC Sports commentator. Um, he's also uh, a former mechanic for Benetton uh, in, the, in the 90s during Michael Schumacher's championship there. Um, he says on Twitter, I've read Ferrari's comments regarding their not checking the drive shaft post-accident. It still sounds quite surreal to me that they were unaware of the damage. It would be like NASA forgetting to check that both Neil and Buzz were safely back inside the Eagle before leaving the moon. Uh and I can also see that Karun Chanduk liked this, <laughs> liked this tweet. So it's not just—I don't know—that's that's a weird one. Um, what did you, Rob? Let's go with you. What did, what did you make of all of this? Yeah, I find it puzzling because. So if it were one of those things where, and this is what I first thought it was, where it was a thing where like, you couldn't be sure that it was fine. Um, I understand running the risk of being like, we've got a pole position at Monaco, like it is. Like, if you even told me that there were only, like, a 25% chance of that car being fine, I would still run that car from pole. Like, that's the, like, I would absolutely take those odds to probably, like, bank a Monaco GP win. Like, do it in a heartbeat. But this sounds like they didn't even do the proper visual inspection of, like, an exterior part. Um, and so, yeah, so like, you're, you're, you're suggesting that, um, like, uh, some people were saying, you know... They inspect the uh, the gearbox. It looks okay, but they're not sure if it'll uh, explode during the race. So instead of taking the five place penalty, uh, let's just gamble with it and uh, and send them off. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Benito uh, Mattia Bonato, the Ferrari team principal, said that, um, and you know you can believe him or not, he said that we we wouldn't risk that. Um, you know Ferrari wants points too badly to to throw away you know, a pole sitter, we would probably, if there was a problem with the gearbox, we would, we would have replaced it, but there wasn't one. 
yeah, I mean, this is so. This is one of those things where I actually would have like the reason I just gave you. I would have run the risk, and I would have proudly said, "Fuck it, it's Monaco. We were going <laughs> for the win." I don't understand why Bonato said, "Well, we wouldn't have. We would have been cautious, and then didn't take a pretty basic precaution." Like it, this is the right. part that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. If it had been like a high risk, high reward play, I get it. But this this act that like, oh shit. How, how could we have known that the entire like assembly around the gearbox would be compromised? That is weird because it seems like everyone shit. Brundle was the, like, I think at the moment of impact on the, on the, on the broadcast, uh, Brundle was like, that's not good for the gearbox. <laughs> so yeah. like, I don't know what we're doing here. What did you make of the, cause we we got an email from American Chicago who said that it was in the sky post race interview that apparently Nico Rosberg pressed Benato on the, uh, drive shaft issue. Um, he said, I have a quote here, I think, which was pulled from maybe the race, I think. Um, it was sent over by Eric. Uh, he said he re- reiterated his pre-race stance that there was no gamble for the gearbox. And when asked whether the left side area where the failure occurred had been checked, said, no, that was not an area. Uh, sorry. No, this was an area that was not checked because it was not damaged. So weird. So like it's yeah, like you're talking about frames. Like you, you can't whack one side of a of a car frame and be like it's it's probably fine on the other side. Like everything's, <laughs> I don't know. It's bizarre. I like it was. I think sometimes um, Ferrari just have a knack for making themselves look like clowns, and I think they did that. Um, my, well, they weren't my the only one this week. Is they, is they took a gamble. Like th- there was a thing they didn't want to know. Um, but the thing is, if like if you could have like just sort of dead reckoning just looked at like just pulled the cover off and i looked at the suspension on the left side and seen that it was like in rough shape um i don't know i think you like five plays grid penalty but you finish a car in the points yeah you probably do that but it's not connected right because like they they would they've had to take the penalty to to fix that part too i not if they don't, don't replace the gearbox right Can yeah i replace the gearbox without replacing the uh the drive, the drive sh- I don't know. That's a good point. I I would have thought that they were they're not like connected directly, right? There'd be a rod or something. There's a differential in there somewhere. Yeah. So I don't I don't think they're net necessarily connected to each other. But I hear what you're saying that maybe they didn't want to they almost didn't want to know. I wonder if there's something if it's broken and they can't fix it that they just have to retire. That that's a bit like OTT maybe, but also like all the Ferrari Wouldn't you want to know though? There. Wouldn't like if that's yeah. going to be the, yeah, the uh, you know, I mean, it'd be dangerous anyway. for the driver as well. I, I yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe this I'm drifting part, into weird. I, just, I struggle so much to believe they didn't know. Like to me, it just feels like I I don't know. I struggle to believe that they're being completely on the level with the reasoning they're reporting, and I don't know. To me, this all feels like a gamble that went bad. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's just a bizarre. You had a full day. You had a full day with that car to poke around it. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, Leclerc not taking part in this race. Therefore, and, yeah. Max Verstappen inherits not pole position. No, no Because no. They, uh, they leave <laughs> the spot blank. Um, I think I, Red Bull had petitioned to Michael Massey, the race director, hey, why don't we all just move up a space? How about that? And Massey was just like, no. That's not how... That's well, some, you, yeah, it's it's worse to be. I think a Monaco, it's worse to be on the outside in front, right? <laughs> that's because that's the issue that that Verstappen runs into. Is if Bottas is a good start, all he has to do is go even Stevens with Max into that first corner, and he's got it, right? Um, but he nasty said no. Uh, Valtteri Bottas did yes, as you mentioned, Danny qualify in third. Um, he he may have been able to qualify ahead of Verstappen or you know Leclerc, but the crash. Um, Le crash. Leclerc's crash ended his and a couple people's runs. Um, but the other Ferrari did pretty well too. Carlos Sainz starting in fourth. Uh, Lando Norris in fifth. Pierre Gasly, his best qualifying of the year in sixth place. Lewis Hamilton in seventh. Yeah, bad weekend. Uh, he, yeah, he was not, his car was not hooked up. Um, he tagged the wall in his final run. Uh, he blamed the setup direction that the team went from free practice three, uh, speaking after qualifying in this quote from race fans. It wasn't feeling bad on Thursday, which is when free practice one and two happened. Um, but we've 
not gone in the right direction over the last day. And then today was the result of that. Uh, there was lots of changing, changes that we did to the car after Free Practice 3 because Free Practice 3 was a disaster. Uh, we then made some changes to try to take steps backwards and move the car to a different place. And the car was worse than ever. So I think mm. we really lost our way from Thursday. It's a complete, completely wrong direction. We completely missed the ball. Uh, today, again, talking about qualifying, uh, was a question of tires. The tires just stopped working. So you're just sliding around. Um, Botas, though, uh, did pretty well. So just just an off day for the Hamilton side of the garage. Sure, it'll all be fine on Sunday. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, just make up those places. No problem. Yeah. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, in his Aston Martin... Qualified eighth, followed by Sergio Perez uh, in the other Red Bull, and Antonio Giovinazzi, mm. tenth spot. Very nice. Good job. Uh, behind him, sorry. Good job. Just yeah. shout out to AG. Uh, behind Giovinazzi in eleventh, Esteban Ocon, then Daniel Ricciardo uh, in twelfth. A uh, far cry from Norris up there in fifth. Yeah. Uh, he also is someone who did not have a great weekend. Uh, Lance Stroll in thirteenth. Kimi Raikkonen, George Russell, Yuki Tsunoda, Fernando Alonso, ouch, in 17th. Uh, Nicholas Latifi, Nikita Mazepin uh, outqualifies Mick Schumacher because um, Mick crashed in F, uh, Free Practice 3 and so wasn't able to take part in qualifying at all. Uh, he also got a five-place grid penalty for uh, replacing the gearbox. Mm. He also whacked the barrier in Free Practice 2, so kind of a, he's kind of a pinball this weekend. Yeah, not much runoff in Monaco. No. Punishing. Um, do you want to take us through the start here, Dan? Sure, yeah. I guess a very weird-looking <laughs> start, because it just kind of looks off. You're like, wait, is this... Am I watching this and, like, is the TV screen flipped or something? I'm not quite sure what's <laughs> happening here. But, um, uh, yeah, the, all the worry. Basically, all the guys on Verstappen and, and uh, uh, um, uh, Bottas, uh, the sort of... Everyone's basically gotten a free shift up, so now there's even less desire for anyone outside the top two to make a move because they've all just gotten even more points at a race where, look, if you're trying to overtake with these especially wide F1 cars, you might be in trouble. So as you can imagine, when the lights go out, there's not all that much fighting going on. Around the back, you've got Perez and Ocon having a little bit of a wiggle, but in terms of the Verstappen and Bottas battle, Bottas has a great start. Um... Uh, Verstappen has not as good a start, but a fine start, and basically immediately pulls to the right to cover off uh, Bottas's um, sort of angle uh, or trajectory uh, to to getting that overtake going into the the very very tight first uh, right hand turn before he go up the hill. So he basically does that. He covers him off. Bottas has to stay behind him, and they all go up. Verstappen away. Bottas next, followed by Signs. We're saying. Right, uh, mm-hmm. and then Lando, which is interesting, seeing the two of those sort of scrap it out, and then Ocon and Perez kind of goes on for a little bit longer, and I think Perez defends him sort of on the outside of uh, turn five as they're as they're about to get into the the complex section. Um, yeah, and there's no contact, and no one even at the back. A lot of rookies driving around Monaco in a very packed, very wide grid, and uh, I don't think there's any or much contact. There was one tiny piece of something that looked like it yeah. flew across, but I, I, I watched that replay four or five times and I could never figure out what it was. It must have been a tiny yeah. piece of end plate or something. Uh, Schumacher made a great move on the first lap down the inside of the hairpin on he Mazepin, did. He did. which is real good. I don't know yeah. if, they, if they touch wheels, but it was real close. Very close. And Mazepin, thankfully, didn't. I think he saw a comment too. Uh, but yeah, good always scary because that especially like if you watch the f2 races as well and uh, whether there was a couple of races this weekend that spot there is where a lot of uh pileups happen if somebody <laughs> touches a wall or gets the apex of that corner wrong especially doing an overtake it can be very very bad but yeah he did it there you go congratulations mick you have one of the three overtakes that happened in this race <laughs> yeah so uh because the the cars are so big and the track is so small very hard to overtake here um so it all becomes it's all down to basically pit stop strategy you know can you jump people in the pit can mm. you you know either pit early and get going faster on newer tires than the everybody else on track or can you uh extend your stint and go faster than the people on their outlaps on their new tires and it's a short um, lap which means that there's actually it's there's more play there 
Like if you get if you make up a second in Monaco, it's worth more than Spa yeah. on a lap. So it's it's yeah. So the pit strategy stuff is at least one one facet of the track's design actually makes that aspect more exciting, which is at least is that. That's true. Um, Hamilton pits on lap thirty uh, from his spot. You know. Uh, much further back than he's used to. He rejoins in eighth. Uh, and then one lap later, his teammate pits from second place. Uh, talk us through that, Danny. Oh, my Lord. Um, first one for me. I've never seen anything like this before. Um, no. So, yeah, Bottas comes in uh, front right, as it always tends to be when Mercedes have a tricky pit stop. Uh, won't come off initially the worry is that there's a couple of things usually happen right when they're trying they're basically trying to get the wheel off so they have a big gun which works like a sort of a you know a torque wrench for the big nut that's on the end of it that pulls the thing off it latches onto it and pulls it off but just like any uh, screwdriver or any uh, drill or or I guess screwdriver electric screwdriver if you get the bite wrong you can you can round it off basically round off the the um the nut uh if you don't get a good connection it won't work this gun will jam there's lots of things that happen basically um what happened in this instance is some so kind of like it it basically sort of drilled it wrong either it rounded it or it sounds like the actual connection between the nut that's keeping the wheel on and what was there that got pulled together wrong so maybe it did actually rotate the nut and basically just like fucking mashed it into the metal of well, what was I have a uh, a um photo here oh beautiful uh that uh listener at Douglas Bonham on Twitter sent us that I'll just put um I'll share here in the chat um and uh, a quote from Ooh. James uh, Mercedes technical director James Allison wow um he says if we don't quite get the pit stop gun cleanly on the nut then it can chip away the driving faces of the nut. We call it machining the nut. Uh, he, he then equates it to stripping a screw with a screwdriver. Um, and yeah, in this photo that I'll, I'll put in the show notes, it, sh- it compares what a nut is supposed to look like and then a shot from the race uh, during the pit stop of a completely smooth nut on <laughs> Botas's car. No uh, So Allison yeah. continues, we eventually didn't get the wheel off and... <laughs> Danny, uh, you you uh, alluded to the fact that they still haven't got. They off. still have not gotten the wheel off. Yes, uh, reporting from ESPN, um, we have a line here. I don't know exactly who it's from, but it says uh, it will be have to it'll have to be ground off. Get a Dremel tool out and painfully slice through the remnants of the wheel nut. We will do it back at the factory. So I think that's also technical director James Allison. Right. Um, so. Uh, there was lots of questions about how this happened was this a pit crew error was it a error of the um, the gun all of because basically bata we should mention this will never came off so yeah but Vatas had to get out of the car we did have an email from somebody saying uh, from max asking any reason why they didn't just stick the other wheels back on <laughs> and send them out again um there's a mandatory pit stop right yeah yeah like he yeah he needs those other compounds and yeah and he can't, and well, we'll get to the other question. Well, yeah, well, one, I actually spent like an hour last night trying to figure out, can you just stick, because you can use old tires, because you can mm-hmm. use tires from quality, and you can use tires from practice if you were a crazy person, but like, could you, <laughs> could you just stick the other wheels back on? I don't know, like, like maybe, if, but it's, it's I guess. Had, you yeah, could, but eventually that wheel has already, to come off. Right. If he had satisfied, like if he had started on the hard tires or whatever, right? Okay. And then pitted immediately, put on the soft tires, and then this was his second stop, and it <laughs> didn't come off? if it had mercifully started raining, like the exact right, yes. moment they realized yes. the, the nuts completely seized, they just throw the slicks back on, just send them out there, and just turn off the TVs, <laughs> close the garage, and just see if he comes back. Don't crash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Of course, by the time this is happening, this is Monaco, right? So if you lose like ten seconds in a pit lane, you're you're you've lost probably like ten places. Um, unfortunately, he's lost like you know fifty seconds a minute at this stage. By the time they've they've come to this conclusion, um, but yes, yeah, so the quotes from sorry, who was it? You said it was the technical director. Yeah, James Allison. 
um, here from the race.com uh, just in relation to sort of where the blame lies I guess uh, he says in that case we need to review the design we need to review the material of the wheel nut because the mechanics that operate the wheel nut need to do it in a way that you can't machine it off the mechanic that did it is one of the best and he's one of the uh, fittest in terms of pit stop speed that the team has things always come to sorry things always come together it's never someone's fault it's multifaceted so either politically trying to you know, maybe someone screwed up and and they're just trying to r- sort of round off the edges, as it were. Uh, or nice. yeah, this is just a a a, a bad look. But I have never because they usually will have someone else will come out with a hammer or something. You know what I mean? Like there's usually some way of them just extracting it. Like they get they've got a little bit of bite, or maybe it starts to round it and they come yeah. off the gun, and then someone comes out with a hammer. I have never seen a wheel get stuck like that. Like it doesn't happen yeah like but it's that wouldn't have helped like if you look at the photo like and just to describe this like it's you know you've got teeth basically that the wheel gun grabs onto and those are now where there were teeth it is now just smooth metal so there's nothing to grip there's it's just you're just polishing metal it's like when you when you when you try and drill with an electric drill with something you rightfully should be screwing in with a hand screwdriver yeah and and you you just just you go too far and you rip it out and then you come back two years later to disassemble that thing and you're like oh fuck (laughs) i can't take this off and then suddenly you have to either like cut around it drill it or use another tool to like pull it out like yeah horrific yeah and Bottas who had a good race who'd basically been handed second position from third who wasn't yeah. really looking like he was catching Verstappen at this stage uh, but he was doing good but he, he was qualified good. up there maybe and he, he was I, I, who knows with, with Hamilton sitting in eighth position or wherever he was at this stage like he was going to make up some points on on maybe not you know Max but on Lewis and yeah just like you know we, we do talk about like Bottas's poor luck but like he really has had yeah. some poor luck. Like, yeah, uh, I, I do believe that last quote you said, Danny, about not blaming anyone was from Toto Wolf. Oh, sorry. Um, okay. And I this is sort of, sort of like Merce- he has mentioned. Mercedes has a no blame culture. Yes. And I guess this is that on display. Yeah, well, Hamilton um, doesn't agree on that based on his no. team radio. <laughs> oh man, this is the angriest I've seen Hamilton in a long time, uh, and we'll get to why. Um, same lap i think as the botas pit disaster ghastly pits uh <laughs> ahead of hamilton um and rejoins in sixth still ahead of hamilton yeah uh vettel has also moved up a few spots having waited to pit eventually he does pit on lap 32 one lap later and comes out of the pit drag racing up the hill with Pierre Gasly in perhaps the most exciting part of the entire oh, race. Drew, 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 uh, Drew, oh, Drew, my Drew, God, sorry, we're going to get a pass. I just have to stop you there, Drew. We have to uh-huh. take a second to look at something that's not important. Maybe Lance Stroll going over a curb. <laughs> yeah, we haven't checked out on him. He's been bored. His dad's already in the casino. He's not watching the race. I can't uh, believe, number one, that they cut away <laughs> at the critical time. There's a guy coming out of the pits. That is like there's three cars like clustered around that four position. There's three cars clustering around pit exit. It's not like something happened and you were surprised by it. You know a car is coming out of the pits. That that is the, step one of a broadcaster's job. Uh, then I don't know if you guys remember this. They went back and tried to show it again, <laughs> and they <laughs> interrupted it again <laughs> to the point where the comment like like uh, Brundle and Croft were just like. Like, I was laughing at that stage. Like, what? They actually called out the director. The director decided they want to show that. Like, F1 directing is, it's no easy task. Like, there's plenty of YouTube videos about how they do it. And they do an amazing job. I have never, this was like the one overtaking the race. And they cut away from it twice. And like you said, it was it was exiting a pit stop. They followed the Vettel pit. Like, we knew this moment was yeah. happening. And then right at the moment. It's like, so, it's like somebody was working from home and their toddler walked in and just smashed on the control panel at the wrong time or something it's uh, the timing of it is like if it was a joke it would be (laughs) like great comedic timing (laughs) it's um so and and it's as it's as hamilton sees vettel execute this uh, this pass uh well or more really win the drag race because it wasn't complete overtake it was more just a side by side up the hill Uh, but as he is as he realizes wait that's both of them 
they're both mm-hmm. now ahead of me. And that's when he gets on the radio uh, at maximum peevishness, being like, how are, <laughs> how are the two cars ahead of us now? Um, and the answer is that Mercedes tried an undercut at a track where the undercut did not work at all. Um, Autosport had a good piece about this piece of tire strategy. Um, not well written, but but a, but a good piece of analysis. Um, <laughs> wow, sorry, shots it opens, fired. It opens wow, with Jesus. a three-paragraph description of Will Ferrell's George W. Bush impression. Huh. Okay? What? Like, the entire opening of this piece is, like, setting up, hey, remember strategery? Come on, just give, get me to the timesheets. Wow. Like, get, oh, that's like, boy. That's, spare me this. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> it, it does. It does lay out that like Mercedes was was caught in traffic, and they're like, "We'll pit Hamilton first, and like he will, he'll he'll come out and be able to put time on these folks." And it just completely backfires. Everybody who stayed out longest, uh, longer, came out in a better position because once you have clear air ahead of you and your tires are up to temperature, you turn a vastly better lap than someone coming out on uh, cold tires at a track where tires do not warm up efficiently. Mm. Um, so, like, Hamilton isn't wrong. Um, Mercedes' strategy call buried him. Uh, and it isn't hard to imagine that had they done what Red Bull did with, like, Perez and just kept him out there, maybe he ends up being the winner of the uh, of the tire strategy lottery there. Uh, but instead, they try to go counter-strategy on everyone, and uh, it completely blows up in their face. On the other hand, I will say, like... Hamilton finished roughly where he deserved to finish this weekend. Like he didn't do well. Like yeah. he, they didn't they didn't make up anything really under race pace. And I'm not entirely convinced that um he would have been able to like I don't know how that how that car was wearing uh in terms of uh like staying out. Maybe it would have worked in his favor, but Yeah, um I have uh, some quotes here from again Mercedes team principal Toto Wolf um referencing you know why they were kind of forced into this position. Mm. Um, and he, he references Hamilton's desire to set up the car in a different way to it was in qualifying. He said, I think it would have done better in qualifying if we, you know, if we would have set up that way, but we would have suffered even more in the race. Um, the direction that we were thinking of was heating the tires more, which we then finally did in qualifying, but not good enough. Um, you know, Valtteri was on course for pull. That's what the lap prediction showed us. But you saw today that the degradation was worse than all the other cars and on competitors' cars, so that isn't the solution. I think the undercut was the only chance that we had. Uh, we saw the tire that came off, and there was nothing left, similar to Valtteri's car. Um, and then uh, Mercedes' technical director, again, James Allison, goes on in this quote from Autosport, the chances are that Gasly wouldn't have stopped anytime soon, and our fear was that Gasly was going to simply just stay out there as a roadblock forever. We didn't have good options either way. We had to make the undercut stick in order to then stop the world falling on our heads as it did today. Sadly, by choosing the undercut and not making it work, the world did fall on our heads with the subsequent loss of places to Vettel and then to Perez, because as you mentioned, Rob, he did a similar strategy to Vettel where he went long. He put it on lap 35. And then when he came out, uh, he adds further to Hamilton's woes by slotting into fourth place from his start in ninth. Isn't it interesting how much, how like the leveler is, like when Mercedes aren't in the front with clean air to do whatever they want, when they're scrapping with the pack, they have to deal with the same shit that everyone else has to do suddenly. But in a track, you know, the opposite of say perhaps Imola where Hamilton was able to really eat people up and get a fresh set of tires on and, and, and overtake and make his way back up to the front. In a track like this, it's just super frustrating because he knows as much as they know that he's not going anywhere. Like he might pick off one of these guys by doing a crazy lunge on the way into into the the chicane down by the marina. But like, unless you're who's doing that for sixth place, you know what I mean? He's not. He came into this weekend really fatalist about the entire thing. You know, before Monaco, he he gave that interview where he was like, "This race sucks." He was like, "It's (laughs) it's our it's a great venue. Um, There's tons of history. It looks amazing. It's it's fun to drive." But it's a terrible place for racing. And he was like, fans are going to see a train like they see every year. And uh, it's just a shame that like our most iconic race is like our most boring. And he sounded really kind of fed up with the quality of racing on this on this track. Now, admittedly, how much of this was also he had a gut feeling that he was not going to be having a fun race uh, mm. th- this weekend. But like the entire weekend, he just had a, he just had this vibe 
of a guy who was frustrated by the realities of Monaco and pissed off at like kind of having to go through these motions, which is what Monaco feels like sometimes where it's like, well, now you just got to do these laps until the race is over and like, mm. hold, and, and not, and not wreck your car against a wall. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine, uh, like I guess Hamilton DNF. That's the more. That's the only way this gets more catastrophic for Mercedes. But just what a terrible weekend um, for mm. their championship hopes. Um, like they like they're in real trouble. Uh, but you could say if Monaco is a circuit you don't perform well at, it's the most edge casey of the track. Totally. So yeah. you, like. If your if your car sucks at Monaco, it probably should if you're building for the rest of the circuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although let's you know we haven't finished this race yet, but Baku's next, and Red Bull have an advantage there. So yeah. <laughs> that's the other sort of street circuity kind of one. A um, uh, couple more items here. Lap fifty two, Norris laps Ricardo. Oh boy, which has got a sting. Wow. Um, Ricardo says after the race, "I'm just choosing to laugh about this for now. <laughs> it's not even going to think about it." Uh, which I think nice. is probably for the best. Yeah. Uh, lap 68, Hamilton is uh, far enough ahead of um, the guy behind Stroll. Uh, piss for fastest lap. Um, taking it from Tsunoda, who was who got the second fastest lap of the race. Clean air. Uh, and then there's a little bit of drama with Norris being concerned about Perez closing in, but it's Monaco, so nobody can pass anyway. <laughs> um, and then uh, Master Stappen wins the race. Yeah. Serena Williams waving the... Uh, the checkered flag of the finish line, waving. like it is a tennis racket. Like, yes, she was very, was, very good yeah. form. French um, Open's on soon. I think is that why she was there. She, I think. Yeah, she. They also brought her in. She did a great job at dealing with a very awkward interview. Yeah, uh, love with it. David Coulthard. David Coulthard after the race. Yeah. What was that? It's just she was just like I don't know why you're talking to me. Please stop. Um. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> good. Yeah, good job. She's Serena. like, I've won things as well. I know what it's like when someone random person gets pulled in during the winners' interview. Please I, stop. I think it, when F one does stuff like that, it seems a little desperate. Like you, you're Formula One. Yeah, you don't. You need, don't need yeah. to like have it's the token awesome celebrity here, on. But like, yeah. yeah, you don't need to interview. Let's not interview Will Smith. That's just <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, but yeah, Max wins the race. He leads the drivers' championship for the first time in his career. Wow. Um, Carlos Sainz comes home in second, followed by Lando Norris. The two bros rounding out the podium. Uh, th- that was the best interview, I think. They're interviewing Norris, and Sainz just kept interjecting. It's good. There's, yeah, there was some great uh, Drive to Survive uh, piss take YouTube comments about that as well, being like, next year on Drive to Survive, they have a fight at the Monaco <laughs> <laughs> interviews. Yes. Uh, Sergio Perez comes home in fourth place. This is the magic fifth race that Perez said that he would. He would need five races to get his handle on the Red Bull car. This is the Good fifth, drive. and he scored Good strategy, play. too. Uh, Sebastian Vettel. I think this has got to be his best result of the year with yeah. uh, fifth place for Aston Martin. Pierre Gasly, certainly his best result of the year for Alpha Tauri in sixth. Lewis Hamilton uh, comes home in seventh. Lance Stroll in eighth. Esteban Ocon in ninth. And Antonio Giovinazzi with his first points of the year in tenth nice place. Work. Behind him, Kimi Raikkonen, the aforementioned Daniel Ricciardo. Fernando Alonso got up to 13th. And then we've got uh, George Russell, Nicholas Latifi, Yuki Tsunoda. Nikita Mazepin finishing ahead of Mick Schumacher, who had an engine issue. Uh, <laughs> and then we've got the DNFs, Valtteri Bottas, uh, and the DNS of Charles Leclerc. But he was there at the... I thought that was a nice touch. He was he was there at the, po- at the celebration for the win. Uh, yeah. To support signs and be there with the team, which... Um, yeah, he he seems like a genuinely affable chap. Leclerc? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that was nice. I will say, I did note a funny thing where Alonzo uh, was was making this comment about, well, in my day, whenever we finished second, it was like a funereal atmosphere uh, around <laughs> the team and nobody was happy about podiums. Boy, it would have been more fun if I got that kind of praise. It was like, it's the most gloomy, like, he is such... <laughs> An Eeyore, I think, of of F one <laughs> right. in some ways of just like, 
always like, man, maybe people would have appreciated my achievements more if we looked podiums differently ten years ago. God, it's I like hope... maybe, but who gives a shit? Like, I like, I, I was, yeah, I was hoping post retirement, Alonzo. You know, he's kind of, he's sort of been a bit like chiller, but yeah, that was a bit. I hopefully he chills out. Cause remember that Baku he had where he like just basically said everyone else in the group was terrible. Somebody took off his front wing on the first lap and he was, he spent the rest of the lap on team radio complaining about them and he drove into the pit like sideways. Do you remember? He like barely got the car back in. So hopefully he doesn't have that. He can that's, relax a bit. It's funny. I read, I read that quote as more like uh Ferrari is a different beast nowadays. Oh, maybe, you know, that know. with the second place signs is happy. Um, because if if I had been like there was no room to be happy at Ferrari that's a, if you that's scored That's a better second. interpretation. I might like that more. Yeah, because Ferrari were on the ear. massive pricks uh, <laughs> yeah. for a number of years there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Max Verstappen on top with 105 points in the drivers' championship, followed by Lewis Hamilton in second with 101. Uh, then it jumped down to Lando Norris in third with 56. Valtteri Bottas has 47. Sergio Perez in fifth place with 44. Leclerc's got 40. Sainz has 38. Ricardo with 24. Pierre Gasly with 16. Esteban Ocon in 10th place with 12 points. Sebastian Vettel's got 10. Lance Stroll's got 9. Fernando Alonso has 5. Yuki Tsunoda has 2. And Antonio Giovinazzi in 15th with 1 point. Behind him, Raikkonen, Russell, Latifi, Schumacher, and Mazepin all have 0 uh guess who else is on top in the constructor standings it's red bull yes with 149 mercedes in second with 148 shaping up everybody uh mclaren in third with 80 ferrari's got 78 that's pretty close uh aston martin's got 19 alpha towery with 18 alpine with 17 and then alfa romeo with one williams and haas with zero there you go uh, while we're doing standings, uh, our fantasy league top three for Monaco this week. By the way, if you'd like to join, you can click the link in the show notes and or and or use the uh, special team code. Uh, number three for Monaco this week: two seconds, Ted. From America, <laughs> uh, from uh, sure I get this right, Australia, Magclaren F1. Oh, that's a mm, okay. And from the United States, first place in Monaco, doing good. Glad to hear it. I'll say yes. Um, overall, though, from America, in third place in the standings, McDoubles. I can't tell if that is an SNL reference or what. Hmm. Um, in number two, from the UK. Red Bull gives you wins. Does it? I guess. <laughs> it does in this case. Yeah. Uh, and finally, first place on the fantasy leaderboard from America. Doing good. Wow, there you go. Doing very good, indeed. Um, And that's it for Monaco. The, yeah. uh, the, <laughs> the lap chart that race fans has uh, every week showing where everybody started, where everybody ended, where everyone was on each lap. Uh, it's pretty funny from this weekend. It's just, it's just, is like it just a lot of straight lines. Straight lines. <laughs> yeah. But, oh you know, Monaco, there wasn't a lot of passing, but there was a lot of drama. So, I don't know. There was, I, I, yeah. I came away pretty, uh, pretty we, all right with can it. We, can, uh, do you want to have that conversation? Can I get the one sure. news piece yeah, yeah. before we... Because I think that we got a lot of emails basically asking people about the worth of Monaco, so maybe that's how we end this podcast. But before we get to it, I just want to... It was kind of late-breaking news, I guess, was that um, uh, Max Mosley passed away, uh, which is a name that you are either incredibly familiar with <laughs> or maybe you don't know who they are, um, uh, who he is. Max Mosley was was sort of a, a titanic figure in F1 for basically the entire Eccleston era. He was kind of his right-hand man, as it were. Um, legal guy, ran a lot of the um, sort of backroom stuff, uh, but was also like out in the front making a lot of comments about stuff, was sort of tried to be at the forefront of the safety issue a bit when it came to the FIA. He was president of the FIA for a decent chunk of time from like 93 until I think around 2009. Um, 
he had prior race experience a little bit and he sort of entered the sport by founding march engineering which was an f1 team that was around for a while um back in the i want to say late 70s i think jackie stewart drive for them at one stage i forget it's a bit before my time um he's also kind of God, so it's doing a doing a obituary for Max Mosley is like incredibly difficult because he had this titanic sort of personality within F one. He was a very controversial figure, and um, with some of the things he come out with, um, he was also tied into this very strange uh, libel case in the UK where I think it was the News of the World reported that uh, to them he report they reported that he was involved in these like Nazi S and M sex orgies. I guess the Nazi part of it was apparently not accurate, but the sex orgies part was, and he actually sued them <laughs> in a. Wow. Uh, okay, that's so. That's like putting the thing in the contract that uh, you know is going to get tossed out. <laughs> Maybe, you know, but but it goes like, deeper. That, okay, <laughs> because uh, so he had, he ended up winning this like really big libel case against them, which ended up uh, sort of having repercussions years and years after with the Levison inquiry which, that happened ten years ago, maybe in in the UK when it came to the phone hacking scandal and all that sort of stuff. Oh, wow. But the the Nazi thing is is weird because his father was basically head of the UK fascist party. Um, Whoa! His parents were married in Joseph Goebbels' drawing room. Okay. With special guest Adolf Hitler. Guess what Adolf, Adolf Hitler what? gives you for a uh, uh, wedding present? A picture I... of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> fucking prick. <laughs> if you wow. didn't know, he, I know. That was the warning sign that that guy was a shithead. Um, so, yeah. So, so him yeah, and Bernie Eccleston, best buds. Yeah, him and Bernie Eccleston, best. Yeah, so I, he he always said that the sort of political, the fascism ended in the family at him, but also like he kind of, he worked with his dad with the party for a while, but it, basically his life in politics was completely over before it started because his dad, like, they were actually, I think they were rounded up before World War II. Both his parents were. I think while, she, while he was like under a year old, his mother was also taken in because they basically, any like Nazi sympathizers in the UK were, were pulled in. So like whoa yeah so he had like a life like no one else basically um but yeah spent the majority of his professional career in the latter half of his life working with bernie and expanding f1 and you know um so he's he he's a just a weird he was he's like a titanic figure in f1 for that 90s era into the aughts um for a lot of weird reasons um yeah and somehow eccleston outlived is still managed to I'd survive him. Um but yeah, he's he he left his mark on F one. Um he left his mark on wider society with the 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 privacy law stuff. Uh and yeah, he was just a it was, whatever his name came up in the paper as you looked at it because you're like, what's going on today? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean, it sounds like he, he was the FIA to Bernie's F one. Um yeah. which just makes me I think grateful for the fact that we have adults running F1 now <laughs> yeah, and uh, seems like the FIA as well. I mean, they haven't been perfect, but at least it's not like you, you feel like they're at least competent. Uh, well, and I mean, you know, Bernie did a lot. The but. thing. Yeah. The, the thing I would emphasize there is it's easy to get hung up on the later stages of the Bernie Mosley era where like they were clearly falling behind the times and their more like high handed way of handling things was getting less popular. But like they also probably like helped create modern F1. And if you, if you look at like uh, the, the fact that like F1 was like within a hair's breadth of falling apart uh, when like Bernie and Max like threatened to form a breakaway series um, and that sort of forced the FIA to make some concessions and sort of create the modern Concord Agreement. Like, they did a lot of things that were probably for the best overall health of the sport and internationalizing the sport. But I think, with, like, like a lot of people, they are guys who stayed at the pinnacle of power for too long. Yeah. And they lost the nimbleness and the, like, for like the ability to be like adaptable and forward looking in a way that I think made them easy to caricature toward the end of their run. Um, and so like, I like, honestly, Max, I remember even at the time, like with his background, you always figured he, he just seemed like such a prick, but there were a lot of people around the FIA who did feel that the guy was a really effective administrator of that. So it's a, it's a very strange thing. There's such 
it, it's such a weird sport because so much revolves around these two really weird dudes who yeah, yeah, create totally. the modern sport, and then you know, almost like ten years later, it's like, well, they're the villains now. It's weird. Yeah, good, I, well, good guy. Good guy to have in your corner, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a, a bounce out here, um, but I did want to kind of i guess give my thoughts on monaco uh like i said it's it was great to you know even though we didn't get a lot of passing we did get a lot of drama which is fun and i think that kind of speaks to uh what monaco can be in the calendar because it is such a weird outlier like you mentioned rob um and danny i think you said this too like there's no way i don't think there you can design a car that's good in the normal circuits and monaco and as a result (laughs) you get some weird scrambling. And so you can't really predict what's going to happen at Monaco. Yes, all the excitement is usually in qualifying, um, but still, it's a it's a good thorn in the side for you know teams like Mercedes that they can't really anticipate it. Um, and when you've got a car like Mercedes that you know blisters around normal circuits, you know has a lot of horsepower, straight line speed, good in the corners. If you can maximize. Um, like a car like Ferraris and Red Bulls that are more uh, suited to not as high speed tracks, better around corners, better aerodynamically, uh, not competing with Mercedes in those places where it excels, um, then you can get again uh, more more outlier effects. So uh, I would I would hate to see Monaco leave for those reasons. Yeah, I I feel. Do you need to jump now? Well, I do. Yes. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for that. Is for, that is my piece. Nice one. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Uh, yeah, the, we have to move the podcast around a little bit to accommodate me, so we're getting a little bit less of Drew this week. Um, yeah, like we had a lot of emails about this. Uh, you know, this whole thing. Um, whether or not it was, you know, it happens every year, right, Rob? Like whether Monaco is worthwhile. To be completely honest, in a twenty-three race season. Like, I, I don't think Monaco is the biggest offender. I think there's going to be other tracks that are more boring for different reasons. I think people get, like, frustrated with the lack of overtaking in particular. Um, I'm not sure if, like, expectation management should be part of that or something. Like, coming into this race knowing that that's not the race you're going to get. But, like, you know, it's not my favorite race. I don't think it should be here just for historical reasons. But it did provide a bunch of weird... Like, a lot of weird stuff happened here, which wouldn't have happened at, you know perhaps at like you know china or somewhere where you had a lot of you had a, you had a lot of crashes we, weirdly we did not have a safety car in this race which is very strange for monaco um but you had a ferrari at the front regardless of how it happened you had a red bull winning we've never stopped on the top of the drivers and red bull at the top of the construction you had hamilton swimming around in the middle of the the field um like you know and, and strong drives from norris and and signs so you know it wasn't it was it was a bit of it was a procession for sure, but I still enjoyed it. And there's that feeling in Monaco like anything can happen at any time, right? All you need is one safety car. All you need is a crash. The amount of like multi car incidents that have happened at Monaco, various spots, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at it with it. What do you think? I feel like I, I hate my it. opinion changes every year. Like I, I you hate it. I hate it. I <laughs> I basically hated it for years, and I, I hear all you're saying, and I don't agree. Uh, no, I think it's I think it's this. Like, yeah, anything can happen in the sense that like, um, a you know a lot a ball still comes out of a lottery. Uh, you know, you know, basket basically. <laughs> like, there are things that can happen that determine a race. You know, R- Ricardo losing it because uh, of an unlucky safety car is that satisfying? Not really. Like, it's it's not. It, you, this race could have changed completely via a safety car. Um, yes, but that wouldn't have been a compelling story. That would have just been like, yeah, look how Monaco like sort of picks a winner. Like somebody gets screwed here, uh, and somebody else reaps the benefit. Um. I think for me, it's just, it's not just that it is a tough circuit to race at. It is an impossible circuit to race at. Um, I guess where I do agree with you is it probably isn't the worst offender. Like, I am not entirely sure that I didn't, that I don't generally end up being more interested and having more to say at the end of Monaco weekend than at the end of like Spain. Um, okay. A circuit yeah. that also reliably struggles to uh, like create memorable racing. Um, I think you know there have been a couple of years now where Spa has been kind of a crap race just because of the way F1 is currently uh, formulated. 
So I I get it. Like I think the the fact that like you know this year it sort of recast the complexion of the championship where Mercedes has now got a real fight on its hands and might have some real uh, ground it needs to make back up with Red Bull. That's kind of cool, but I just feel like it is. This is a series that has so many circuits where overtaking is already hard and the wrap on the series is that there's not a lot of good racing action and then its iconic race is <laughs> just like all of its worst tendencies uh, for, for two hours and right. that is I think that's a problem because Monaco does get coverage it's weird I do see it break through into like general sports media in a yeah. way no other race does and I'm like boy I wish you hadn't seen that one because uh, it's point. a really good series, but you wouldn't know that. Um, yeah, no one's tuning into Baku, even though we all know as fans, Baku always provides some entertaining overtakes, incidents, rushes, yeah. pit lane strategy, tire strategy. It's all there. That's the thing. It's like it's not just that Baku has like one sector that feels like Monaco. But, <laughs> yeah, but because right it's kind castle, of a weird yeah. sector, it's kind of cool. Like, it's harrowing as you see cars dive through the castle section. True. Um, and then sort of navigate it and then burst out into the sort of back third of the circuit. That stuff is all, all cool. Monaco, it's just... Um, it often does feel so processional, so much like a foregone conclusion. I think the the real problem... Uh, in terms of... So people are asking, what's its value? Um Honestly, I think Monaco is probably too important to the business of F1. 100%. Yeah. Um, it is It is a circuit. It is an event. That, like Grand Prix weekend is infamously luxe at Monica, Monte Carlo. Like it is – that is a place that is a very rich, upscale place, 360 days out of the year. And then Grand Prix week comes and the place is – like on another level it's just it just becomes absurd and that is a very good opportunity to get a lot of important people in one place and do a lot of marketing and like cut a lot of deals like i strongly suspect one of the real reasons for this thing is because yeah it has promotional value for the sport because that is an easy weekend to get people like serena williams and tom brady to just appear and be like yeah see f1 is part of this wider world of like you said there are more eyes on monaco yep but the mainstream. I, I also think it's probably a weekend where there are a lot of people with massive marketing budgets yeah. who are just kicking around. And if you can be like, come to our party or we will see each other at this this other event, that's where the value really is. Yeah. What and- other race can you even think of like that has that? Like, it's not like there's because like the racetrack is like Singapore is the only other place I can think of where the racetrack and the sort of the circus uh, the 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 people who are at the race and all those marketing people are like there like yep. there's no other like it's like silverstone's not you can't you know no one's staying at a hotel at the racetrack you're going to be no, in no, nobody's like you might be near it might be convenient to a major hub but there's a world of difference between like oh yeah no schlep out of london and go to this old world <laughs> war ii airfield uh in <laughs> in the midlands okay cool it is in the midlands right i don't think um, it's that far north but yeah yeah it's yeah yeah uh, but I just like that's that's the thing. I I don't I don't think you can replace it, and I think that's why we're stuck yes. with it. I think if they had, and here's oh, okay, maybe here's the conspiracy theory thing. Maybe Miami could. That's that's a good point. Yeah, but that's I don't think it can for the following reasons: no history. Um, teams are in Europe. Yep, the teams are in Europe. A lot of their marketing partners are in Europe. And Miami is a long way away from... Whereas, like, Monaco, very easy to get to from basically the rest of Europe. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think... It just won't have the history. Um, and because, like, Mugello and Monza, like, any of these European ones, like, Paul Ricard is pretty... You could almost, almost, almost do it. But it's just that no one likes that track. It, it has all the worst parts of... Monaco. <laughs> well, and again, <laughs> it's on. like even Paul Ricard, you're still 
isolated in the way former airfields are always isolated. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where you can't just Monaco, walk out and see the track. <laughs> yeah, Monaco, like, you can walk out of the pit lane and, like, to your apartment or to a casino or to the marina. Like, you could just watch the race from your hotel. Yeah. Like, which a lot of people would do. That's like, good. So that's tough to compete with. And yeah. so I think this is the weird thing. Like, F1 needs Monaco, but not to run a race there. It needs mm. the race just to justify why everyone is at Monaco for a week to to do business. Well said. For that reason, I don't suspect seeing it disappear anytime soon. Uh, speaking of racing, Rob, we're not just racing here. We're also racing around the world. Yeah. Setting myself up there. Um, we got some racing going on. Uh, all over the place. Uh, the NASCAR trucks uh, camp, sorry, camp and world truck, as he says, I was at the North Carolina Education Lottery 200 in Charlotte. Um, XE is back for round two. We're going to Dakar in the beautiful country of Senegal. Um, it'll be interesting to see that. I guess that means more sand. So <laughs> maybe similar problems to what they have at the first race. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, the World Superbikes are on this Saturday at Estoril. Um, it's May 29th. Also, the NASCAR Xfinity Alsco Uniforms 300 is happening on Saturday. Um, the XC uh, Dakar Race, sorry, is on the Sunday. It was only the... Qual- oh, no, it's just it's split over two days, isn't it? Yeah, sorry. They do like a round system there. Um, uh, like a tournament system. Uh, that's also on the Sunday. Uh, MotoGP is at Mugello. Um, do we say Mugello or Mugello? I forget how that Mugello. ended up. It was Mugello. Okay, thank you. Our uh, Italian correspondent, Rob. Um, the race for Estoril, sorry, is on the Sunday. Uh, or sorry, race two is on Sunday in World Superbikes again. I for- keep forgetting. They do two races in World Superbikes, not like MotoGP. Uh, the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500. Rob, maybe you've heard of it. It's happening at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Indian- Indiana. Well, I'm... Uh, as a Hoosier, I'm attuned to it. I always, I always know uh, when when it's Indie Weekend. It's like the the sun rising; you can feel it. You're just you're magnetically tuned to the uh, uh, to you Indianapolis know, Motor Speedway. I will say, like ever since, because now they're doing that thing where they run the road course uh, like right. two weeks before, and then they have the big. Um, did you guys like, talk about the Grosjean? Yeah, we stuff did last week. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it was cool, but like. It used to be like it was qualifying weekend and then indie and that was all cool and everything. But like, boy, now three weeks of indie, <laughs> kind of cool. Like sometimes yeah. I'm like, am I missing? Am I missing a trick here by not like going and visiting my parents and then like just going and hang out in Indianapolis <laughs> for a week? But the problem is, of course, I don't know. It's Indianapolis. What's what's the vibe down there? I've never I've never been there. I've never been to that. I haven't state. been there for years. So like it, to me, it was just very generic Midwestern capital city. Okay. Um, but it's become much more of a convention hub. So probably it's cooler than it used to be. Um, people can people can write in and let me know. Like, is <laughs> is spending three weeks in the Indianapolis IMS area a cool thing to do? in the year of our lord 2021 <laughs> did you it seems got, like it might be cool did you catch the beyond the grid with roman grosjean as well that went no. up a couple of weeks back oh it's so good because he talks a lot about how um obviously he's not doing the ovals but he said like it's going to be really hard with the this three legger or three weaker because he especially considering he did so well at the the road course right is that they're all there um and he's not doing the ovals and he, you know, he may be in the mix for somewhere in the top three of the championship. Who knows this year? Um, but he talked about the, uh, it was like, it was, it was such a beautifully vivid picture. So he, he basically drives around an RV um, with the rest of the team, but he brings his family as well. Um, and he said, like, when they turn up at a racetrack, all the other drivers have their RVs and they all park up and they just have like barbecues together and hang out. He said he was... He was talking to before the first race. He had a chat with one of the drivers about warming up, warming up the tires. Because like, apparently, what was great in this interview is that Grosjean did not watch much indie before he was driving indie. I think last year was the first year he like proper started watching IndyCar. Um, but he he said that why don't you guys like drive around like you know and start you know warming up the tires? Why don't you like you know use the track? 
And he was, and whoever driver was talking to him said, oh no, don't worry about that. Just like, they don't need to be heated out that much. Just like do the accelerator and the brake at the same time a couple of times. And basically like gets them up to speed. And he's like, I just, he's like in F1, the idea of something you giving you tips on how to drive the car would like never happen in a million years. Everyone holds on to their, 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 uh, their insider knowledge. But he was like, yeah, we're all, oh, they all just hang around with each other and like chill out in the evenings and you know, See what they, if this is what if this is the secret like way forward for IndyCar marketing is just to lean into the fact that it like it's it's a rolling carnival, right? Um, yeah, because that sounds incredible. They all just pull up their RVs and have like family night. Like what? Is that right? I'm like and then and even and the French guy. They're like, come on over. We'll we'll or Swiss. Right? We'll, you know, we'll we'll te- we'll teach you how to drive these cars. Don't worry about it. It sounds so wholesome. Um, and the last race to talk about this weekend because there is no F1. Uh, the NASCAR Cup, Coca-Cola 600, also at Charlotte, or sorry, at Charlotte uh, Motor Speedway. Um, so there you go, NASCAR, Indy, XE, World Superbike, and MotoGP. If we had an F1, we'd almost complete the whole thing, but um, we're going to have to wait because Baku is not on until the first week of June. Rob, pleasure as always. Final thoughts on Monaco? I think I saw somebody make the argument that only Formula E should be allowed to race there. And I don't know oh. that that's true, but a one weekend only formula, like the F1 guys have to drive Formula E cars, which they will <laughs> probably be terrible at, could be very cool. I will add to that, that uh, Formula 2 was actually decent uh, this weekend, and there were two races in F2. So if you're on F1 TV, go check those out. And if you're not, they have highlights up on the YouTube channel, Formula 1's YouTube channel. Uh, check those out too. Rob, pleasure as ever. I'll talk to you next week. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to all of our patrons. We are Shift F1 Podcast on Twitter. He's Rob Zachney. I'm Daniel Dwyer. The other guy is Drew Scanlon. Thank you. Have a great race weekend, everyone. We will see you next time. Meow. Yeah.